Hello. Hello. We have a cold going around our household. I have a cold going around my head. Oh, I wonder if Nathan's coming over here. I think he's watching House of Cards. Is that what Ottawa feels like living in? House of Cards, Canadian style? No. <laughs> Hi, Nathan. Good morning. Afternoon. What time is it? Yeah, afternoon. How was your week? Gosh, it felt really busy. I had this cold. Yeah. Yeah. um, Nathan had some excitement of travels and parties. Oh, Nathan, where did you travel to? Uh, I was in Toronto last night for the opening of Beatrice and Virgil. Oh, yeah? At the factory. uh, And then uh, took the last flight home. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was a good, have we begun? We, uh, yes, we've begun. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, although if you ever want to, you know, put brackets around something, uh-huh. you have to do that. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the, uh, NAC was uh, a collaborator on Beatrice and Virgil at okay. Factory and Sarah Stanley was the, uh, director of the show, right. is the director of the show. Mm-hmm. And last night was the opening. A triumphant opening. Yeah. Nathan was saying, commenting on what a fun, funky little space that is. Yeah, Which, well, they have that new this, they have that new entrance right yeah, on the corner there. Yeah. Uh, that sort of looks like a subway station. Yeah. And that's, is that's what people say. Perfectly flexible. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there was a building across the street that I did a paddle in just last summer and that's no longer there it got oh yeah um demolished and uh nigel was saying that it will become a giant condo just like every other hole yep. uh currently being filled in in that city well that's good we need more it's true well there's they real do shortage yeah. there's a real shortage but there's also like i think it's great for people to be able to live downtown yeah in a city like we we're just talking about how there's so many the dream of having the big house in the quiet suburbs is not a dream that we share. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we like we like um, living in the middle of the city. Well, yeah, and those developers across the road from the factory know that the factory theater is making them millions of dollars, helping make them millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's um, in I mean, all I think their that's... marketing for that is building. It? <clears throat> well, and then and then factory, I hope, sort of jumps on that. I mean, I think it's a it's a weird. It's a weird balance. I mean, the one of the problems with the condos in Toronto is that, like, you guys couldn't live there because they're not big enough to have a kid in. Right. Uh, uh, you'd be surprised, though. In Vancouver, they're, they've run out of schools downtown because more and more people are raising their kids yeah, in the condos. Right. There's 6,000 kids living in the downtown peninsula, and there's 300 elementary school spots. Yeah. Right. And we have the same – I mean, they're the same – sort of in different weird pockets mm-hmm. that's true but it is the because i mean in terms of when we were looking in terms of what we could afford mm-hmm. we were looking at 700 square feet mm-hmm. well and our place was even smaller than that yeah. when elky was born yeah he yeah. had a seven by eight his room was seven by eight and i remember um camille and tande mm-hmm. came over with their daughters and ava was like why is Elkie's room so small? They live out by, um, what is that? 
they they live out by the the UBC endowment lands. Mm-hmm. So they live out like they have a beautiful house, a beautiful home. But Ava really it was a real uh, pretzel for her mind. I think I was like, well, you know, he's just a baby. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't need a lot of room. He's got a hell of a view out his um, yeah, no. out of out his breakfast nook bedroom. Yeah. It was really yeah. neat actually having him in that in that apartment because when he could focus his eyes farther, like. I remember the day that he could, when he realized that he was looking out into the distance. <laughs> right. Like beyond the window. Eyes, like, yeah. Eyes outside the window. It was very cool. Like, yeah. whoa. He couldn't, he couldn't look at anything in the apartment. It was just all about what was outside. Right. Yeah. But, you know, whoever moves into that building across from the factory, it's 500 people will, will move in and they will or they won't know the neighborhood already. And the first thing that they're going to see when they walk out the door is their new community center, which is the factory theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I um, think that's, I mean, that's the potential strength in that. Right. I mean, and I don't know what they're, I haven't talked to them about long-term plans and things like that, but that their courtyard space, mm-hmm. you know, this, we've talked about these things in terms of the need for theaters to be social spaces and community centers. Mm-hmm is that that courtyard space should be full of people for 16 hours out of the day, mm-hmm. Yeah, regardless of whether there's a play going on. Well, one of the things they could do to help with that is take the fence down. Yeah, or change <laughs> the nature of the fence. Or... Yeah, you know, make yeah. it an inviting park, park-like space. Yeah. Because that would be a protected <clears throat> corner. I think it's not going to get... Yeah, off. exactly. And And cafe space, you know. Patio space in Toronto is gold mm. in in the four months of patio season, right? Um, and and that's a neighborhood that doesn't have much of it. No. The real challenge I see we saw in Vancouver was uh, if you're going to be marketing to your immediate neighbors, the trick is to get through the front door of the lobby of those places so that you can get yeah. into the mailboxes. Yeah, or exactly. the bulletin boards of those places, and and the way to do that is to know someone who lives there, or to know the, to make a special arrangement with the concierge or the developer. Um, I can remember a couple of times walking home, walking into my lobby, and there would be a political candidate would be holding court in the lobby, right, uh, with a press agent, and it was the upcoming election, and and they were they managed to get into the building um, for some FaceTime with the residents because one of their organizers was a resident in the building. Right. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the, what, you know, half of a season subscription for every person in that building, you know, the, what, what are the lost leaders? What's the free sample that is available mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms of, of building the habit? Cause that's what it is. Right? Like if you build the habit of, Oh, I go across the street and see every show at factory. Mm-hmm. Um, if I lived across the street from a theater, I would go to every show. Yep. It'd be so easy. But that's not certainly what, you know, the dance makers experience. I don't know what Sol- Soul Pepper's experience is in the distillery. Um, is that mixed development? So there's residential as well? Yeah, there's there's big condos. Big condos built up around the little um, theme park of a distillery, historic distillery district. Mm. And that was always the point, right? The, the developers got the deal with Artscape as a way to convince the city to let them build. Mm-hmm. Like four giant towers. 
around, right. <laughs> blocking the view of everybody inside the distillery uh, and jacking up the cost of everything. But that was that was the deal. And, oh. and I don't know that there's been... Again, I don't know if Soul, what Soul Pepper has done. They've got certainly more resources to take advantage of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, dance makers, you know, the if there was the organizational capacity even to to be teaching morning workout classes for those people, to be mm-hmm. getting people in the neighborhood involved in the company, even if it's not through like come to see our if the first contact isn't necessarily come to see our show, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we have dancers and we, we do training, come, yeah. come do training 6am workouts. With, yeah. Dance boot camp, boot camp or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. And then, you know, if you buy a season's pass of that, then you get a free comp and, you mm-hmm. know, what it, like, it's just, it really is this thing of, of building habits in, in a demographic that is, the dip, right? The dip in theater going, I think, is between what is it like? It's like twenty seven and forty. Like there's, you know, like young kids. When you have young kids, it's hard to see theater. Um, and just when you're making your life, like there's a there's a dip, and unfortunately, that's also the exact same demographic as are buying those condos. Yeah, I wonder. It's. Um... You talk about building habits, but I think it's also um, about um, uh, becoming part of a lifestyle. Yep. And and uh, I don't know, like diversifying, diversifying your menu, McDonald's, not just burgers anymore, yeah. salads, yeah. <laughs> muffins, breakfast, wraps. Um, to engage, like for the arts organizations to engage less as specialists, quote unquote mm. specialists, and kind of part of um, of a society of creative, healthy people. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, so that that profile, and I and I hope it works for Factory. I mean, a Factory should be a theater. If it's a theater for that neighborhood, then it's it is that young, pretty diverse. Um, group of people and in our sort of youngish mm-hmm. um, the, dips, downtown. the dips the dips <laughs> there's um a com- there's a company in London called Tricycle Theatre which yeah. you've probably heard of um, and Nicholas we brought New World brought Nicholas Kent over to Vancouver to talk about the space and and also they were they did a lot of the verbatim work early in uh-huh. And um, I haven't checked on the nature of the 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 venue recently, but when he talked about it, he talked about you know that it that the building was some place that people could access not quite twenty four hours a day, but very close. So you know during the day there was a little coffee bar, there were you know movie screenings, there were activities, there were workshops in addition to these theater projects and the theater projects that they were doing. Um, were pretty like political, mm-hmm. you know, they're not middle of the road, quote unquote, accessible, but they were, you know, in trying to really unpack, um, uh, difficult questions. And, um, I think one of the things they did, if I remember correctly, is 
you know, take a look at really who are the people who live, who are the people who live in my neighborhood and try to uh, design programming beyond just the theater, but design programming that activated the space and got people in the door just to get them in the door in the first place uh, and get them coming back until they felt like this was their theater. And then eventually they got in to the theater theater. And it reminds me of that article about what you're seeing is just as important as who you're sitting next to. Right. Who you're seeing it with. Yeah, and who you go with and what kind of activity it is and what the social elements are. And yeah, I think it's it, it's it's available. And I think Factory, actually, because of the that building and that location and having that corner, the... It is available. I mean, they can't. You know, they have the eleven o'clock issue, but that's. And what's that? Too noisy? You can't. Too noisy. Be... Yeah, it's just because of. Uh, I think there's some. There's bylaws. There may be some specific neighbors, and there's just general bylaws around. Yeah, noise. that's fine. Yeah, and that's fine. That's neighborly. Uh, yeah, it keeps. It's why. It's part of the reason why. Um, Summerworks has moved their bar location. Hmm. Now, um, we should probably say that people are listening to the SWS podcast with it's true. Jacob Zimmer, Adrian Wong, and our special guest today, Nathan Med, who may or may not contribute, depending <laughs> just on... pipe in. Depending on whether I finish my shawarma oh. in time. <laughs> in time. <clears throat> um, and Jacob, we didn't really have a topic for today. No, I mean, we had the, like, why is Canadian theater dead and Germany so great <laughs> blog posts. Yeah, and I, you know, I was just saying to Nathan before we started up the call, like, I don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, we can. You made all but... these notes. Oh, okay. Well, then no, you I can. Mean... You made all these notes. <laughs> in, <laughs> German. In, in German. In German. <laughs> in Lots German palindromes. Lots of umlauts. Um. But it did remind me of um, a keynote speech that Nathan uh, allowed me to read as he was preparing for uh, the GVPTA conference in Vancouver. Right. About how theater is um, perhaps, perhaps we as theater practitioners are part of a larger movement about performance and, and theatricality and drama Um and th- that there's a widening of, of definition that needs to happen in order to understand that actually theater is alive and well, and perhaps it's just the way that we practice it that's um, on the edge of things. Yeah, or that performance is I, one of the things um, in the sort of Conte more internet brouhaha that we talked about a bit last time, Evan Weber wrote, somebody had posted like, oh, why aren't, why aren't there more theater shows that are doing this? And Evan, Evan pointed out quite rightly, I think that there's often in Toronto, a lot of performance that is doing all the things that people loved or hated about that show. Mm -hmm. It's just not happening in the theaters and it's not necessarily calling itself theater. Mm -hmm. What was this performance? It was at World Stage, um, Conte d'Amour. Uh, it's a show. They're, they're Scandinavian artists, but it's out of Berlin. 
and he was a video artist and it's a show nominally about the Austrian guy who uh, kept his family in the basement, Mm -hmm. locked his family in the basement. Well, he kept his daughter in the basement and then fathered incestuous children on her. Yes. For like 20 years. Yeah. And this wasn't the Zero Stars? That's the yes, Zero Stars. That's the zero, zero Stars. Okay. Um, and, but, you know. Big, long rants against um, Médecins Sans Frontières. And... Yeah, and in ways that, like, it's very funny I'm talking to friends who work in NGOs. Um, that sort of critique of, of Doctors Without Borders or any of the sort of charity industry is is not radical. Like it's it's a known, clearly articulated critique. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things that I actually took out of people's reaction to that was about how outside of the critical discussion in the world theater is, like how or or the that part of theater is in Canada where it's like no that's really like that's that's not a totally fringe position you know it's mm-hmm. a position that major philanthropists are taking about being like no this this thing that we do around charity is problematic and it's not it's great like band-aids are really really important um when you cut yourself but they're not a solution, and they may inv- like and and the way that the West does it, while simultaneously exploiting the shit out of poor people. Mm-hmm. Like it would be better to just stop exploiting the shit out of them, <laughs> you know, like that, like or do both, right? Like it's the band aids great, but if you keep cutting me, all your band aids seem a little false. Mm-hmm. Um. And that, and that charity allows us to feel like, oh, I'm so great, I'm so great, I'm helping. Look at look at me helping them, and I I don't have to ask questions about right. where Makes my diamonds come from, like and where. It's like a it's a like button on Facebook. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. This is bad. Um, but let's go back to Conte Mou yeah, because sure. um, <laughs> we started talking about something. Um, so. So about performance, about the the work that was being done that was most sort of similar to the parts of that show that maybe people liked, actually. So, or just part attached to its complexity and its sort of not normalness, not commonness. That stuff's all happening. That stuff is, there's, there are, there are shows in Toronto that are like, that are different. They're just not calling themselves theater. Mm-hmm. And they aren't happening inside theaters, mm-hmm. and that the the problem that is being identified in a lot of these, like in that in that blog post, um, is is kind of commenting on these sort of institutional institutional theaters, mm-hmm. and. And expecting something radical yeah. out of them, and I, you know, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of false dichotomies and also false um, 
Well, the people practice kind of theater in a lot of different ways. And um, it's not even just like institutional versus indie. Like that, that if, if we're going to look at that, like that model exists differently in every center in Canada. Yep. Like what, what that means for each city. And also, I agree with you that there's actually, it's not just, you're not just practicing in one or the other. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different kinds of theater. Um, and a lot of which maybe we would call theater, but the people practicing it wouldn't call theater. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's hard because the, I think what a lot of what I hear in those, in the critiques of the institutional theater, a lot of which I agree with it just in terms of, I think, feeling, feeling alienated from it going you know what I what I hear in in reading that is like oh I go to shows in Canada in the art form that I'm supposed to care more about than anything and I feel alienated and that really sucks, mm -hmm. uh, which is certainly a feeling I have all the time. Yeah, so did um, so did Arto. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> like it's not it's not Canada, <laughs> it's not no. now. Yeah, exactly, and it's a, so it's also so it's also when I. When I am a cultural tourist in Germany, I'm not seeing mainstream German theater, right? Like the perception, you know, I think Vancouver theater is only people who hang out at the Progress Lab in replacement, right? I know that's not true, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that my, when that's who I see when I visit, Right, because mm -hmm. uh, you enjoy those twangs of professional jealousy, and I have those twangs of professional <laughs> jealousy, but I'm not there twelve months a year. I'm not there having conversations about who's getting bingo funding or who's not, and I'm not there having you know, I'm not there. Our our houses look nice when we give people tours of them. Right, that it's important to to do that, but. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's n no city. You know, I used to. Montreal gets romanticized, but it's because mm -hmm. we visit it. It's not. We don't live there. <laughs> Any place that you live, you're going to see the issues. So we visit Germany and it's like, oh, they're so great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those artists will still complain about the old guard that's doing boring things for the populace mm -hmm. and all of those things will still be there. A couple of years ago, I was reviewing a show uh, at the Vancouver Playhouse for the Canada Council. You know, you get drafted in to yeah. uh, write those critiques, yeah. uh, secret critiques. Mm -hmm. And I think I can break the secret now that company is closed. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm <laughs> there. Do any more damage. There and I'm watching the show and damn, is it ever boring and for me alienating. Um, and I'm looking around the room, you know, thinking of what to write in the assessment <clears throat> And the room is full. The venue is full. 600, 700 people. Uh, you know, older crowd. Um, uh, you know, and one of the questions that the Canada Council prompts you with is, what are people saying? What did people say about it? Mm -hmm. What are your neighbors saying uh, as they come out at, uh, at intermission? And uh, after the show, I, I kept my ears open and people loved the show. And uh, it did nothing for me. And so, what what to what to say about that? And 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 that at that very time, the Push Festival was going on, and 
there was tons of exciting stuff happening at the Push Festival. Well, those venues were also all full. And it made me remember that, you know, um, the, the, the fact that the Playhouse was catering to an older crowd, and one could argue a dying crowd, uh, it's, it's only really a problem if all of the underground theaters are also empty. Mm-hmm. And there are no young people in those other venues. And so it made me um, appreciate how the Vancouver Playhouse, even though they were among the best funded companies, they don't need to be everything to everyone. uh, And they don't need to be on the edge of much uh, if others are playing that role and doing it well and breeding another generation of theater goers. And then maybe, who knows, in time, in a generation, uh, their work uh, evolves to on that stage mm-hmm. uh, yes. based on changing tastes, but that's not the taste for that age now that they are, um, they were doing well with before they went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, that's the same argument for the, the analogy of the ecology that not everybody has to do everything. Like you have the, the bottom feeders and you have to, the fish who eat those and you have the fish who eat those fish and the fish who eat those fish and then you have the tuna who have eat all of the fish so but all of those fish are necessary to have a healthy ecology in the ocean plus all the algae and the plants and all that stuff so and i'm totally i'm so into the ecology thing except like i do also have this thing of like i am not here to be eaten by can't stage like that's yeah, not well, my... that's where the ecology metaphor breaks down. Like, no, but it also, but it's, a, but it's, it is the metaphor still because it's the feeder show, right? The assumption is no, that's not the assumption. That's not my assumption. I okay. I mean, I, I think there's a thing of like, I'm going to work. I'm going to work in indie until I can't take the poverty anymore. No, that's not my assumption. I mean, that I, I am sorry for invalidating your feelings. That's okay. Um. <laughs> I, so that may be your experience, Jacob, that that, that is um, the way people think of careers. But I think that there's, in my experience, there's people who've made a commitment to um, create to an artistic practice um, wherever that practice may take them. And, you know, I certainly know a couple postal delivery people in Vancouver who've funded um, poetry writing practices by working for Canada Post, you know, how, so if people want to practice their artwork, they're going to find a way that makes that work. I think what you're talking about is slightly different than artistic practices. I think it has to do with career, like career and career ambition. And those, those two things are separate, uh, can be connected, but I don't, no, absolutely. And and there are some people who move through, like climb a ladder from community theater to indie theater to institutional theater to academia. And there are some people who just practice in in, in indie theater forever, or go like further and farther into the margins. I, I that's that's my perception, but it might you know it's probably very different in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that one thing is that here there is in in a way that it is it is always good to be reminded that it's not necessarily so and and I don't I mean I don't see that rise I think I see I see the reason for some of the complaint about institutional funding 
amounts being that that seems like the only way to gain any stability while still practicing other than, and I'm, and I'm not against it at all. And in fact, I'm looking for ways in part to do it. Um, finding, finding the money elsewhere, finding money for life elsewhere. I think the, the downfall of <clears throat> one of the down or hard, hardships of theater as opposed to poetry is that not only do I need my survival paid for, but I need to hire the actors I work with. Mm-hmm. And, and so then I'm, I'm just in the uncomfortable position of liking big shows, <laughs> like wanting big shows. Uh, I want, you know, I want to play with fly galleries, but the only spaces where I can get fly galleries, mm-hmm. um, you can't even afford to have the tech time to do anything interesting with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that part of my imagination, which I would love to use, I just can't. So I feel like, I just want to take a pause here because I feel like we're talking about things we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that worries me <laughs> because, uh, partly because we don't, you know, I think that, uh, we're prompted into this territory by that article that I sent the link to. And, um, I just, um, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of this too, but I, I, I wonder if we could talk about something else. Sure. <laughs> because because I feel like we're we're back in the same kind of oh um Nathan's got to go. Okay. Um uh we're back in the same territory of of the limitless complaint. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And so totally. um and uh I worry that that's a little boring if we've heard it before. And we can well, drag it this out or, you know. Yeah. Whatever. And it's, and I think the, I, that's one of the, one of my, one of the complaints of the limitless complaint is that it makes us boring because we're always complaining about the same thing. Right. Yeah. Like it, that's part of its, its problem. So how do we start something or how do we join a thing that is already in the zeitgeist, participate in it, that is other, that isn't about trying to transform something into something else, but rather a more creative impulse? Um, okay. Or just what, what what's exciting about doing that? What's... What are the issues? Like in terms of trying to find things to talk about that are not just the complaint, but if we are trying to start something different or do something different. You and me, you mean? Like, are you talking to me like we specifically or we like a generation? Maybe it's a generation. I mean, I think there's a lot of generational stuff in this, Um, you know, that, that all of the theaters that I can complain about were also formed out of complaint with mm-hmm. the previous generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, down to Stratford, like Stratford is an oppositional theater to British touring companies. 
Um, that was its uh, impulse. So, so maybe there's generational stuff. Um, uh, I guess. Oh. Eddie's on it. Um, isn't it kind of like what people tell you about finding a partner if you're looking for one that you have to put yourself out there, right? You have to go and volunteer for things and participate in sports or whatnot. Yeah. So, um, so I would say like, if you want to, uh, infiltrate another Mm -hmm. medium to like go to those events with, uh, a sense of humbleness uh, that you're not trying to fix them or make them better or anything, but to see what benefit, you know, like to see what they are for themselves mm-hmm. uh, and engage with them on, on that level. That would be my initial answer because I think that we've talked about this too. Like theater is a very social art form and uh, rely heavily reliant on social network and social circle Mm -hmm. and the size of your social circle and people kind of tend to like people do stay within their social circle um so how do you start exposing yourself to different things well you start you actually have to go put yourself into different circles Mm -hmm. um that's what i would say and to uh to actually uh it's very hard for me to think when he's crying but um to, Do you, I, I'm, I'm happy to pause if you need to. I just want to finish this thought, but okay. <laughs> like you have to um, confront loneliness of being an outsider, which I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, hold on. Yep. Poor little guy is just a little upset. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean we, that that loneliness thing. I mean, I th- is is hard. I mean, it's certainly something that I these days struggle with. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the result is, and and the solution is for me in parts to go out. I mean, that's actually the the real way to fix it. Mm-hmm. Is that you know past two weeks I've been out a lot and maybe that's why I got a cold, <laughs> but the cold knocked me out and then I couldn't go out a lot, and then it, you know the the darkness creeps in, mm-hmm. and yeah. it is why you know I I've started I volunteer at the Center for Social Innovation to get desk space there, mm-hmm. in order to try to meet people outside of outside of the arts in some ways to, to make connections with people who aren't in that world. I mean, I think that's, you know, wh- and whether that's getting past the doorman to get the condo dwellers next door to come or for me to be going to town hall meetings for new spaces in the junction and to be part of that conversation where it's suddenly like, Oh, I get to be useful here. I, I can contribute to this and I don't just feel like I'm chasing chasing that career ladder that 
I'm I'm simultaneously chasing and like hating myself for chasing, mm -hmm. uh, which is not productive at all. No, I mean you could chase it and then embrace the chase. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think f uh, for me and in, because I'm here in a new city, I've kind of gotten mm -hmm. catapulted into that position of. Like everything is new. So there's still collaborators that I work with. But what I've learned in the last almost, it's almost a year now, but what I've learned is that not everybody has to be your best friend. Like not everybody has to feel like home to have in order to be a friend or to have a, a, a valuable relationship. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes uh, conversations are awkward. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and sometimes like, interactions are awkward but it's so important to have them and to meet people and to expand the network and and if anything it is more grounding I feel more grounded than I did when I was working 12-hour days and going from my office to my home and not really speaking to anyone in between like I right. feel more connected into the real world and I think that actually makes me a better artist mm -hmm. I may not be as productive an artist but actually you know the more I think about it I think that the the level of production that we ask of ourselves and and um, if there's something wrong with the quote-unquote system that to me, like that machismo around how much you can do, how hard you're working, how many meetings you can get in, how many projects you're working on in a year or at the same time. I don't think that that benefits the art. No. And I don't think it benefits the artists. Um, and it is uh, so slowing down is hopefully going to result in, in well, I feel like I'm in a period of, of personal growth. Mm -hmm. which can only benefit the art. But it's, um, you know, there, I have the fears that any any person who's going to be voluntarily leaving the workforce for a year or more is having, like, how employable am I going to be when I go back in? You know, that's a, I'm not the only woman to have to, to or men, to have to contemplate that um, on an extended parental leave. And that's something that I think, I mean, the future does terribly deal with parental leave. Uh, I mean, and partially, you know, again, it's... Well, there's a lot of ways in yeah. theatre that you don't need to take a parental leave. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways in which the people that I've been working with have been quite welcoming yeah. of having a child in the room, uh, of having the an adjustment to the work day or the work yeah. week. Uh, so there's kind of infinite flexibility. To, yeah. I mean, not infinite. There's a flexibility up to a point, which yeah. is pretty great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did oh. you hear his little like yeah. horse little laugh? Yeah, that felt like not 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 nearly the trauma previous. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you know that that all makes makes a lot of sense to me in trying to figure out what that what that balance is because I do also, I mean, I'm as much as I am in firm agreement of the the not the cult of busyness and Mm -hmm. and the number of projects and stuff. I also, I'm also the person who's like, no, I want to be in front of an audience monthly. <laughs> like I have to, I, it's a very, but that feels like a different, I have a different relationship there mm -hmm. of wanting to be, like I want to be working more in some ways and less in others. 
Maybe you need to do like spoken word or stand up. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about. <laughs> I mean, I know I've been I, spoken word. I, I that's that's the one that I'm like, oh god. Um, no, it's true, and I mean, I but I think about comics a lot, right? And I've been hanging out more with, or just seeing more comedy mm-hmm. and improvisers, and just you know, I think there is really something great about how much they're on stage and mm-hmm. how much they learn by being on stage. Yeah, from the audience. Yeah, and, that, and that's the only, the sort of, that's that's the determinant of is something good. I mean, not entirely, and lots of, you can have, you know, you can do the same thing that we do and we complain about, oh, that was a bad audience. I hate that complaint. <laughs> yes. But I also totally, like, or, you know, that was not the correct audience. Like, I get that. I don't think they were bad, but, like, I get oh, those people <laughs> like that. Working at Second City a lot, like that was the complaint when come the Christmas season, lots and lots of people are there because their business has paid for their ticket and it's mm-hmm. the big company Booze Christmas up. party. Yeah. And they don't actually want to be at a show and they don't even know what they're going to. And they just want to be drinking with their friends. And, and so I, you know, I understand that the performers were always been like, oh, they just wouldn't stop talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I, so I think about, I mean, I think I want to take some improv for actors courses and try to figure out some ways. But, I, but I'm also moving my theater towards looking more and more like those nights. Like yeah. The Fun Palace is is more and more towards that evening and, and towards those skill sets. I mean, that's why I want to take the classes as in part so I can perform better in that yeah. thing that is, that is largely sort of an improvised space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it certainly limits what I, what's possible. I'm, yeah. But also opens up possibilities where, I can be in the front of the audience more and do a different kind of work. Hey, I just had an idea for your fun palace. Oh yeah. Okay. You know how the moth um, is people telling true stories without notes. Yeah. And it's real people telling true stories without notes. Yeah. uh, Stories that happen to them. And then I think you should have an actor. Maybe this is for my acting Olympics, but anyhow, um, so you have an actor watching them and then they have to replicate the performance to their best ability immediately afterwards. That would be fun to watch. Um, the, what's it called? The life game? The game of life? The, yeah, the life game. an improv form. Yeah. It's, it would be me. I tell you the story of how I went to the fire station one time and I got on the truck and it was really awesome with all of my, like, I would just tell you the real story. And then the actor's job is to do that exactly word for word, verbatim, character study, Yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Not not reenact it. Like, they have to, like, comp- right. like do, do a your full representation of it, which they would fail at. Yeah, I think we're... I mean, I'm... Um, stuff we've that talked about... That doesn't sound fun to you. <laughs> um, 
You don't like that idea. I okay, do like it. I do I'm like going to keep it for myself. Then. You can keep it for yourself. I take um, it back. My 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 question about it is, I don't know that the audience wants to watch this, like. I think people the same watch. story twice. It's not about the story. No, it's I, about oh, the effort. Yeah. Um, or it's just about, that it's and that it's, it's about the failure. Sure. How long is the story? How long are the moth stories? Ten minutes. Yeah, that seems long. Well, whatever. They can be as long or short as you like. I mean, one of the things that we've we've talked about and I want want to do is is making doing that but sort of basically that the audience doesn't see the first one. They just see the second one. Well, then what's the point? Um like is not have you read The Ways of Seeing by John Berger? Yes. Yeah, so is not knowing the context of the photo, you know the context of the photo which informs the content of the photo. So I would argue that by knowing that here's the real person doing the real thing and here is the representation, the person pretending, the person acting, that we are actually exposing the mechanics of theater and doing that in a live way in front of a live audience. It's so, um, and in such a way that capitalizes on the thing that is most exciting about theater, which is hoping that somebody makes a mistake. So I would argue. Do they get the same notes? They don't get any notes. What kind of notes? What do you mean? It's like, (laughs) like who gets notes? This is, this is live dramaturgy. Um, I feel like the the failure is so quick and so s- complete. The failure will be so quick and so complete that I don't want to watch the actor for more than like two minutes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like, I think you need to have um, people who are willing to go there. I, yeah, I agree. It probably you want to keep the, sh- the, the story to about five minutes because the actor's version is always going to be shorter. It'll probably be like three yeah. minutes. Um, but what you'll see is what is important to that actor, like how they are taking in information. And some people might come up and do an amazing like physical uh, character study of the person who just did the thing. And some people may actually have eidetic memories and be able to say word for word what they just saw. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would be an incredible insight into how people perceive each other. It would be, I think it would be fun. (laughs) Uh, I think, I think, I I think you could work. The, the notes was if, if, uh, like if the first person, if the storyteller is using notes, no, they get no notes on the moth. I know, but you know the notes. No, no notes, no notes. They have um, to tell it from themselves. If if they <laughs> if okay. they had notes um, in your then, show, they can have yeah, notes. My then, show, they have no notes. Then uh, just then the actor can use those same notes. So they like it's because I I the thing with impossible tasks for me, I'm like I. I I've worked a lot with impossible tasks, I feel like, uh, is that what keeps my interest once I realize that the task is impossible. And because all of our tasks are impossible. Um, but what's the sort of next, like, what's the, 
what's the understanding beyond, oh, it's impossible to get up after somebody and talk and, and it's a bit revealing about what the actor sees and that caricature, that, that, that dissonance between what happened and what's being performed is compelling. Mm -hmm. I don't, my mine is, is just, is how, for, for how long is it compelling? Is There's there... only one way of finding out, which it's is true. to do it. It's true. It's true. Yeah. There's all kinds of geeks. It's true. Yeah. Uh, we ourselves are geeks. It's very true. This is a mm -hmm. very geeky podcast. Just about yeah. I think that's something Norman Armour once said to me. was like, no matter how cool the musicians are, the show are, just remember... They were band geeks once. And I think that's good to remember in theater, too. Like, no matter how oh, cool yeah. the AD is, that person was a theater geek in high school, just yeah. like you. you. just want to eat the buffet. All right, so maybe maybe we have, we have reached an ending point. I feel like we've reached an yeah. ending point. And I think, um, so this is going to be it for a little while, because I'm going to go away yeah, unless you want to do one without me, which is fine. Um, and then I think when we come back, we want to talk about the ethics of using real people yes. in performance, either as performers or sources or, yep. uh, subjects or objects. Yep. Um, and we may have a special guest we for that one, a special guest. uh, which I shouldn't mention cause we may not, <laughs> yeah, we'll I won't mention that. the name, but it would be a really awesome guest. Cool. And this is something, I mean, I, I brought it up because I'm. Thinking about it for the summer show involves the summer show involves some great some so people that were once alive right so bring your questions I will and if other people have questions about that particular question they should email us oh yeah yeah or or tweet tweet us or whatever so yeah so all of that stuff. so uh, you can find more you can find the show notes for this we will post show notes so stuff that we've talked about links to things at a couple of places first at the spiderwebshow.ca mm -hmm. you're going to click on experiments and then find the podcast there and and it's also you can find it at smallwoodenshoe.org and then click on podcasts and this is the SWS podcast that's and right the notes and and links to past shows. I feel like the diversity show may have gotten us more of an audience. You said you got feedback on that. Did I? Did you? And yeah. so that was exciting. So uh, <laughs> if you want to listen to that show or you want to listen to our previous shows, mm -hmm. all That's... of that are both uh, Spider Web Show or Small Wooden Shoe. And the SWS podcast is a collaboration between those two things. Fantastic. And uh, we will see you probably in a couple weeks or hear you. All right. Have a great All day, right. Jacob. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.